Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with Kyle, Luke, and Kathleen. And today we're continuing our Rooks and Vets coverage of Sci-Fi's The Magician Season 5. For those of you that are new, here's how Rooks and Vets work. Two of our hosts who have not seen a show talk with two of our hosts who have seen a show. That's the premise. And today we are on Episode 5 entitled Magicians Anonymous. And Kathleen, do you want to hit us with the description? It is Episode 4, but that is okay. Mm. The description is, Julia lends a book to some lady. Fog finds a sock. Two great, great descriptions for this episode. Those are two good moments, yeah. Yeah. Like always, we usually go through our episodes based on character buckets, all determined by the plot lines and how, you know, Magicians gets crazy. It goes all over the place. So for today's episode, we're going to start with the Katie and Fog timeline or plot point, which both these characters were absent from last episode, so... They got a fire story here, so we're gonna we're gonna kick it off with that. Followed by the Fillory storyline of Margo and Elliot, and then we're gonna end it with the Alice, Julia, and Penny twenty three mess that kind of gets jumbled. But we'll get to that towards the end. Jenny twenty three. Oh, Jenny twenty three. <laughs> so let's jump in. Or do do we want to talk about how we feel about the episode, boys? Brian, Kyle, noobs. What do you got? I will I mean, say that this episode was kind of fighting an uphill battle after last episode. Um, that was a tough act to follow. So I enjoyed it. Um, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but there's some quintessential uh, magician storylines in this episode. You know, I'm honestly shocked that the whole Dean Fogg, Katie going to the um, the etheric realm was kind of our first foray into that kind of stuff in the magicians. <clears throat> We've been to the Netherlands, things like that, but I feel like we haven't had that deep of an experience with them doing drugs like that. I mean, we have Penny and Quentin with the stuff touchers in the, in the forest. <laughs> the but other than stuff. that, I can't think of anything. Yeah. The Bacchus stuff. Like, Did you just so call me? This was Quincy? nice for like a whole, <laughs> for like a whole episode. We get some in that state. Yeah. I thought the Katie and the Dean Fogg storyline was a little bit out of left field, but in the most magicians way possible. So that's always a good thing. And it was really nice to see Zelda again. I was, yeah. I was waiting for her to finally make an appearance and I just love the character. So I'm glad that it kind of seems like she's going to be with our heroes going forward, but another really strong episode. Yeah. I, I like this episode, but completely agree with Kyle. It's hard to follow up a peak of the season in, in episode three, and I also, being a vet, know what's coming in the next two episodes. So mm -hmm. this episode to me felt a little bit of like a just get us there kind of thing. But overall, you know, any new magician's content is great. You know, we get not a lot of Elliot in this episode or Margo. So Fillory in general takes a backseat. But all the stuff they knew, they knew that Katie and Fogg were, were going to be missed from last episode. And they threw that right in their face. I love that part of it. Let's jump in. So we're going to start with Katie and Fogg. Uh, we open at Magicians Anonymous, title of ep. Uh, Katie, Katie's there. She's talking about being clean for a year. She's Jones and Hart. They kind of like give her some props, but um, she tells them like, no, no, like I'm fucking Jones and Hart yeah. to get a fix or to get well, as we would say on the Hill House episodes. But she kind of goes into like a lot of detail for these complete strangers in this room where she's talking about the bloodworm scare, the reeds mark. Like, shouldn't they know this? I would assume these people are also hedges, but go ahead. 
both of you. <laughs> I just it's I don't remember who I was speaking about with it, or I'm sorry, I just that was words didn't make any sense in that order. I don't know who I spoke, <laughs> I had this conversation with, but there's something about speaking to strangers in that way where you once you get rolling, you just start saying mm. shit. And mm. I also was shocked that she just kind of explained the entire plot line of season four for herself and season five. I totally think it's attributed to what you mentioned, Kathleen. I think they're all hedges. Everyone's pretty much a hedge that isn't in like a main institution of magic right yeah so mm-hmm. i think it's safe to assume because we've talked about it in earlier episodes that katie kind of has she's she's donning the crown of queen hedge witch on like the east coast like marina used to be so i think yeah. if they are hedges in any capacity they at least know who she is and are aware <clears> of the <throat> problem so they're just like you know letting her talk right the etheric realm is kind of unknown to us so i i truly feel like they added this in there to just put some exposition like let me explain to you where i'm at in this storyline so she talks about the reeds mark it basically magically castrates uh the hedges until it's off but the only way to get it off is through the library and it's not the library's priority right now and then she goes into the fact that the, there's a building that's missing, like what Gavin told us. And, and that's where she brings up the etheric realm. It's the only way to move something that large is through the etheric realm, which is like TMI, girl. But love it. We love it anyway. And we're binging because it's on Netflix now. But in reality, for when that episode aired, people hadn't seen Katie in two weeks. Accurate. So. And I also totally this accurate. is just a random thought that I had. But I think they break the fourth wall two or three times this episode. And... I think it's hilarious. I think that's one of them. Like they're just throwing in her face that Katie has to recap for the audience members to know what's going on. Cause she's been, she's been gone. So I love Katie. Mm-hmm. I always liked Katie a lot. I know ne- I love every single one of these characters with my entire soul, but this most current rewatch, I really fell in love with Katie. I don't know if it's because I've been following Jade Taylor and Brittany Curran's like magic and chill on Wednesdays. And I just like fell in love with Jay Taylor as well. But damn, I'm hyped for you guys to see her storylines this season. But um, in my notes, I have this girl as Marina wannabe. I was getting Marina vibes from her the whole time. She was just the only one asking questions and stuff. And I'm sorry, the dog just walked in. Um, But she, she asked right when the etheric realm is brought up, she asked like, what's the prob? And Katie tells her what the prob is. It's you have to drop acid to get in with the Archie RCH. Anybody yeah. hear of it? That's quite um, the prob. Yeah. And that brings us to after the meeting where this Marina wannabe is revealed to be Dean Fogg. And I love the transition where she starts giggling and then <laughs> it's just Dean Fogg giggling. Like, what a cuck this guy is. If I didn't know, I totally was on the on the train that that was Marina. I thought that was going to be Marina. You know, just starting this scene off, writing my notes, and I said, Katie's at an AA meeting, dot, 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 with Marina, question mark, and then just all caps, never mind, that's not Marina. I really love what they did with Fogg throughout the series, because he was such a hard ass in the beginning, and like, kind of like a no-nonsense way, in a way where everything being thrown at him is fucking whimsical nonsense, he's no-nonsense, but through the end, like, one of Kyle's favorite scenes when last season when he's going through and talking to everybody and like saying his like last goodbyes. So funny. And even this scene leading in, he's just like straight giggling. And the way he does the hand motion to get the RCH or the Archie in his mouth is even goofy and funny. Like they really do a great job with just making him be like, I'm sick of this shit. 
I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm going to take this drug and we're going to just bounce. This was a really unique pairing for the show, putting Dean Fogg with Katie. But it makes sense. These are the two addicts of the group. So, you know, they would go on this journey together. He does mention to her, you know, I know what it feels like to have that responsibility and kind of leaning on drugs as a crutch, essentially. And I didn't, you know, ever make that parallel before until they kind of put it on that silver platter in front of me. And it does make sense. You know, it's interesting. Um, Katie kind of wants to stop him from doing it because he's an alcoholic. And he's like, I'm an alcoholic. I don't do drugs like it's two completely different things. I'm not an addict. That's recently I kind of got introduced to that concept where you're addicted to one thing and they tell you not to do others because it will maybe lead you back to that thing that you're addicted to. But it is such an interesting concept that like, yeah, he's an alcoholic, but he's like, I'm going to do this drug. I don't care. I think that's just an interesting thing for addiction and how to deal with it. And if you really can contain it just to what you're addicted to, quote unquote, I don't know. The drug looked cool. It was like so cool. And just, you know, they knew they knew what they were doing. I'd do it. It's just classic magicians to that. Like Dean Fox, like, you know, gives kind of like a speech about how, you know, he's made mistakes and stuff and he's going to make amends and his amends is doing acid with Katie. <laughs> it's just so magicians. Did we also, did we touch on how he, he specifically pointed out that he wanted to make amends to the hedge witches because he felt personally responsible for a lot of the hardships that they've had to endure. Now we did. Which I thought was cool because he was kind of a dick to both Marina and Julia when they had very reasonable reasons for asking for his help. And he just kind of set them to the side. In Fogg's defense, Marina got herself kicked out of break bills after four. He knew Marina. He had a reason to be That's like true. this, this fucking bitch. But you're right. I don't understand the differences between hedges and break bills. Like I, I feel as if I, I get it, but I feel as if that they shouldn't be looked down upon that much. Like in the books, one of my favorite things, uh, I think it's in the second book, is Julia making her way and just being like a bomb ass magician. Like they show the ins and outs of her becoming through the hedge systems, just a bomb ass magician. And it's like, how are you unaware that people who don't go to break bills also could be bomb ass magicians? Who's the It's like human nature. Yeah. But let's dive into this goofy, whimsical <laughs> magician's dream of an episode. I mean, just so aesthetically pleasing. It's it's exactly what you want for this. You, like, I, I'm so happy for them in this And moment. it is hitting. It is hitting, Dean Fogg. He is feeling it. He is lost <laughs> in the sauce. <laughs> Katie, Katie notices right away that they're both just going to go down this fucking, this route of being absolutely bombed. So she takes fog's tie off <laughs> and wraps it around her hand and his hand so they don't lose each other and he says the funniest line he says ah this is what my neck feels like <laughs> just tripping so balls. Good. Like, good. they're walking around uh what city are they in again are they new in york? new york it would be new york yeah yeah so they're just walking around new york and like we're saying like there's like a circus going on there's all these bubbly magicians just around colors flying everywhere they're they're distorting all their reality and I think we get a quick cut to what actual reality looks like if you're not in the in between etheric realm. Etheric. I have etheric realm. Yeah, yeah. Etheric so realm. they're just like walking around normal people looking like drug addicts. But in reality, just life is normal and gray and boring all around them. Can you imagine if that's what all drug addicts are doing in real life? <clears throat> that's Who's where they're at. They are. True. 
We could totally um, be muggles. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that would suck. We, if <laughs> anyone deserves to have fucking powers, it's us. I feel that. I agree. <laughs> so, this is one like that creature. It looks like a pixie girl runs up to them with these cotton candies, and the cotton candy, like Dean Fogg has eaten it. It tastes like hamburgers and like a barbecue in the summertime. So it just tastes like something that you find comforting and delicious. And Katie has the wherewithal to kind of like remember that she's supposed to ask about the depository. And this this pixie girl tells her that nobody knows where anything is in the realm except for the emperor. Yeah, so now so now there's just a bunch of bunnies hopping around. Mm-hmm. Um all white bunnies but one brown bunny with sunglasses on and they're both like looking at this guy like we need we need to follow this man. Specifically Fog is like brown bunny sunglasses. <laughs> just like spewing bullshit and then they decide to follow the brown bunny, which is probably my favorite part of the episode is when they follow this bunny to the beach or to the pier, I would say. And there's just socks everywhere. Like the etheric realm is where your mismatched socks go to die. And of course, our sharp dressed man's is so worried about this Argyle sock that he's like, keep an eye out for this one. And then he's like, <laughs> yeah, we got to focus. We got to focus. <laughs> yeah. So they see the, the bunny across the street. They decide to follow him. And Katie's like, I'm trying really hard to give a shit, but I'm just so high and it feels so good. <laughs> she says, I'm trying so hard to give a shit, but it feels so good to be high again. I'm like, <laughs> a really funny line, but coming out of her mouth, it's a little bit scary. And the way she, she says it is, is really good because she knows herself. She's like, fuck. Like, this is not good that I feel this good. This she does time. get it together, though. She does. It's our girl. I mean, barely. She and- she still wanted to be the one to stay in the plane. And I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but Dean Fogg earlier in the episode called her out for having two tablets in the first place. Like, she says, oh, it's in case the first trip is a bust. And Dean Fogg's like, or in case it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And you find the depository and then want to go back in forever. So, like we already knew that this is kind of where Katie's head is at, that she's falling under the the pressure of her addiction. It's fucked. Let's just uh, also call out that this red and orange Argyle sock was a size 13, baby. Our boy. Our Being boy's got this. Fog. <laughs> yeah. You got to call him out. You got to give him props. Um, these two are so good together, by the way. These two are... I mean, when's the last time we saw Katie and Fog besides singing on the in the desert with Margot? Like they haven't been together since she was expelled in season one. Which was this right after Break Bill South, right? Yeah. That's when mm-hmm. she gets kicked out. Yeah, that is a long time. And when I was doing my rewatch, I completely forgot that she doesn't go back with them and she's just permanently on the outskirts of yeah. like, the Break Bill's magician. <clears throat> she's come a long way. So after they find Dean Fogg's sock, they see this bunny again, and he's kind of hanging out at this dude, just at like a beach chair. And it's this big Lebowski looking motherfucker. And it turns out that this guy is the emperor. And they kind of, he's kind of being very vague, but he says, all right, stick around. Like you guys both seem super chill, but I got to dig deeper into your thoughts to see who gets to leave and who has to stay here. It takes a huge drag of his joint. But the only reason that someone has to stay in the realm is because they're asking for something, as we've kind of <clears> learned <throat> throughout this series, that anytime you want anything, it happens again later this episode with the yeah. other god. Anytime you want anything, you always need to either 
do do a favor for somebody or give them something in return. You know, like that's exactly what this was. Amp. I like I like Amp. Amp. Amp's yeah, the he's chill. <laughs> he's chill and he just likes them both. And he's saying he's going to give them the opportunity to to hash out who is going to be the one that has to permanently stay in the realm. And I think that's kind of the end of the second to last scene. And we flash back, which is supposed to be a little time has passed. They've had a conversation and now they're talking it through. And because Emp thinks that they're equally awesome, so he can't make the decision, <laughs> which is so awesome. <laughs> um, but we have a couple of cool lines here, and one of my favorite things is anytime they reference the, the time loops and any of the <clears throat> master magicians who remember it, it adds even more, whether it be Zelda, Jane Chatwin, or Fog. Like it's just a cool piece of dialogue. And that's exactly what this was. He says, Fog says that is that he's lived through 40 timelines of break bill students which includes years and years and years of different students. And he's just sick of their shit. And we were talking a little bit about that earlier in the podcast. So he kind of rightfully can be done with the whole headmaster of break bills. Is that his title? Headmaster? Dean. 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 Dean duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dean is not his first name. <laughs> Might as well be though. <laughs> yeah. It's Hank. It's it is Hank. Oh my gosh. Henry. Okay. That I don't think I ever put two and two together that like they call him Hank because it's a nickname for Henry. I just thought this guy flubbed his name. No, we didn't even say that name. line when he's like, Hank, I don't hate that. So funny. <laughs> Dean Fogg is so good in this episode. It's classic, but you're right. He's so fucking sick of all the bullshit for these 40 timelines. He does deserve to be done. It's like stealing that line from Penny from the last episode. Like he deserved to be done. I like how we're in the last season and they're kind of working in that that kind of language. It does make sense. They've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. They're already toying with it. It's kind of like a meta thing. They're they're acknowledging the fact that the world just keeps. There's always an apocalypse happening. Like the binder says, "Oh, again." He said, "Like getting bored." bored. Like they're <laughs> acknowledging that this just keeps on happening. And now, like some of the characters themselves are starting to acknowledge that. This is another example of a kind of a fourth wall break when Fogg is analyzing Katie's personality and saying that you still have some sense of responsibility and care for outside this world. Like, not only do I deserve to be done because of these shitty timelines I've been living, I'm over it, but you know that you're pa- you're still part of the main story and you care about the people on Earth. That's kind of what he's getting. Yeah. At, right. And the the amp flags her for responsible intent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Hank here is a laid back Mondo perfectus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so goddamn good. Laid back Mondo perfectus is one of those lines where I know that whoever on the writing team wrote that just patted themselves on the back. Like this is a good one. <laughs> when else can you use this stupid ass line that fits so perfect? Just the smile on my face when he this like chill guys like lay back Mondo perfectus. So crazy. And the culmination of all this is that Zen mode fog decides for Katie that this is done. You're the one that's going back. And then that's when Amp decides to give her what they asked for, what they were there for. He flashes her back to the real world and she's holding a piece of paper in her hand that says Hell's Kitchen, which is just a neighborhood in New York, right? Yeah, it's where the daredevil's from. I wonder how she feels, you know, because they say that once you do psychedelics, especially, I guess, one as strong as that, you know, like the after effects of how you feel afterwards from your brain getting just by all of these fucking neurotransmitters i wonder like what that kind of hangover is like after going to the etheric realm 
the worst. Yeah. But this does end on before she gets sent back. It's a sweet fog moment. He's like all the pain from all this time has guided me here. Like kind of like, don't feel bad for me. Like I, this is where my path led me. It was a really sweet moment for fog. He doesn't have many. He's always pretty just funny laying, laying down the like lines, but this was a sweet moment. I love it for fog. So how do you guys feel? You think we see fog again? It's a happy ending for that. Well, she says she'll be back for him. So we will see. I hope that's not the last we see of Dean Fogg. If we have what nine more episodes and we it don't did, get any more of Hank Fogg, I'm gonna be pissed. It did seem pretty anticlimactic for an OG like Fogg. So I hope we see him again, but at the same time, like I, I could see that being his ending because it would make sense and it would like if the season were to end and he doesn't come back, I'd be like, Yeah, I guess that's a satisfying like closure to his story. Okay, so now we'll jump into the fillery timeline. So this segment is really just we got the reveal last episode that the, that Seb was the Dark King. So now it's just Margot and Elliot. We don't get Josh or Fan. It's just Margot and Elliot. We open with with Seb and Elliot in his like quarters, and Seb is getting like a coat made for him or something. And the the main thing to take out of the scene is just that they're talking about. Elliot's um, chops as a magician and Seb is impressed. The Dark King is impressed with him. And Elliot does not reveal that he's a Break Bills trained magician, which I thought was interesting. And I think this is actually the first time you hear the name Seb, which is why we were a little confused when we, you know, know. Brian and Kyle were a little confused when we started calling him that last episode, but not a big reveal or anything like that. Yeah, I just think it's cool that someone outside the main group is acknowledging that Elliot, who we wouldn't even consider as like a top magician is still getting praised because he has really really good training from one of the best schools in north america that it's just kind of cool just to know that even if you were at break bills and you weren't alice level you're still top tier you're not hedge witch at all like you're a really good magician i have a really fun exercise that we may have to save for like the finale let's rank the magicians in order of what we think they're because i would think elliot's really actually really good like as much as he does not want to be so smart and good he is like he just i think he has the natural abilities but he was josh number one josh was um in the books josh was like randomly epically good at things but he had to work like 10 times as hard to to do like be normally as good like he couldn't just um, muster the magic on a regular basis but when he was like really good at something he could just like fuck it up love that for josh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love that for anyway. So so our boy Seb kind of offers Elliot a job as the official court magician in defense of the kingdom. And he says you could teach other people and I could personally train you to teach other people. And Elliot accepts. And someone said that he doesn't reveal that he was traditionally trained at break bills. And where Elliot's at right now, he would want to hold all of his cards close to himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he wouldn't want to reveal anything because I feel like the more information gets revealed the more likely it is for Seb to connect the dots that he is High King Elliot. Like how many break bills people make it to Fillory? Not that many. Yeah, I don't think there's much to take away from this scene. We just keep moving along. And our next quick scene is Margo and Elliot talking directly after that conversation. And Margo, who won the tournament against Fen, Fensicle, in the last episode, (laughs) 
she's obviously now the the female centurion on the of the 12 they have like a task to do but before she can do that she tells elliot you really have to utilize your leverage and you're in with the dark king now to get as much information find out what the deal is like why is he the dark king is he evil what's going on that's basically what she tells him before she gets whisked away to the other centurions who are getting trained and talked to by their commander there's a lot of good classic Margot Elliott banter here. So first she's like complimenting him on his new leggings, legs for days, it's fire. But she's really skeptical of the Dark King. And one thing we didn't say about the last scene is that just sexual tension for days. Talk about legs for days, sexual tension for days. But she says he's called the Dark King. Elliot goes, you're called Margot the Destroyer. And she says, I was a woman ruling a patriarchy. My brand had to be overkill. <laughs> I like Perfect. how almost all of like the great quotes and episodes is just whoever's on the podcast is just fighting to be the one that says them out loud because B Tom's totally had that quote on the tip of his tongue right there. <laughs> so I definitely did. I'm the quote guy. I have like so many quotes I don't even drop for you guys. But one quote I need to drop from the from the scene of Elliot and Seb is Elliot calls him out. He says, you know, you you kind of were burying the lead on being you. You know, why didn't you tell me you were the dark king and be straight up with me? And Seb responds saying that a king has to be careful who to trust. And Elliot interrupts him. He says it can be a relief. And then Elliot interjects and says not to feel the weight of the crown on your head every second. And they exchange this, this really weird moment where Seb looks at him and says, you are wise, dot, 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 but I knew that already. And he kind of gives him a look that leads me to believe that Seb might already know who Elliot is. I think I agree with that. I just, we talked about it at the end of last podcast episode, but it just feels like he should know who they are. It's, it's... (sighs) I feel like he might be grooming Elliot in like a Darth Vader scenario where he wants Elliot to like join the dark side, if you will. You know what I mean? Would the reasoning be because like he has a crush, Seb has a crush on Elliot? Like, is that what you're getting at? Or is there a bigger reason? Uh, None in particular, other than that, like we just said, Elliot is a capable magician too. They're not just that Seb has a crush on him. I mean, Elliot, we find out when he's talking to Margot that he is kind of falling for the Dark King, too. There's way more to this Dark King character than we know already. And I'm just trying to, like, theorize what the things are. You know what I mean? I totally think he he's trying to get Elliot under his wing. And while Margot is trying to get Elliot to leverage that position for her gain, I think the Dark King has his own agenda for Elliot. Mm-hmm. Is the Dark King a benevolent dictator by necessity or psychopathic despot by choice? That's psychopathic the question. despot by choice. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm leaning that Final way. answer. Margot's got her axes. She's got his back and her axes. If she needs to stick it in his back. Yeah, baby. I always and got his back. Perfect place to bury these. Yeah, baby. And she has that new six centurion uniform i really like the uniforms that they wear they look yeah. even better when they when they you know we transition to them being outside training i like the the color you know and they look they look real sharp with the lines and everything and then the commander has like that big sword or whatever pin on his shit they look legit marco looks a, good that's that scene is exactly where we're at now if we're okay yeah. with moving on because we we get a really cool line here from the i think you guys just gotta assume it's the centurion like commander the leader he says to them 
that the Dark King is immortal but not invulnerable, and that's their whole purpose is to to exist. You know, they're just the typical King's Guard of Game of Thrones. They protect the king, except in this case, the Dark King. I guess you have to assume immortal, meaning he will never die of old age, which explains that three hundred year gap from when Fen and uh, Josh had the time jump. So he's been alive for that whole fucking time, and that you know that's that's a pretty crazy OP power that only gods we've really seen to to know have. This is kind of a new plot device that they're these bowls. They're like a pensieve from Harry Potter. You can just see it. It's bowls broadcasting the Dark King essentially at all times, whenever they choose to have it on. And these kind of bowls are placed in taverns and hotels all throughout Fillory or whatever. I don't know if they have hotels in Fillory, but um, probably in news. Yeah, and I was just about to say, probably one of like the sharpest, most typical magician's jokes ever is just like, oh my gosh, it's fucking Fox News. And the dude's just like, foxes all lie. Who'd ever believe their news? And Margot had <laughs> the most money eye roll I have ever seen. She's like, oh my God. That is so good and timely. Like, that's just, that's such good fucking writing. At the, the writers knew what they were doing there, and they mm-hmm. just leaned right into it. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at this bowl and the uh, the Dark King is kind of making his way through the forest and he's actually on his way to interrupt this Centurion boot camp. And he kind of comes into the encampment and just says, all right, new recruits, like you're what we've got. Let's learn by doing and go out into the wilderness and confront these takers. Um, and I think at the beginning of the scene, the commander like established what their mission was. Did anybody catch that? There were ma- map makers in trouble. Like they needed to mm-hmm. save the map makers or something. Honestly, I was kind of up in the air about that too. I think, I think that doesn't really matter that much. They yeah. just knew they had to save it. But I just wanted to say that the Dark King knows what he's doing. He's and first of all, calling it a pensive is so. It's exactly what I thought. I'm so glad you you just you took it right out of my brain Ooh. like you would a pensive. Okay, okay. <laughs> Second of all, the Dark King knows that. He him showing his like heroics on this thing is he knows what he's doing. Like he's, he's sneaky. He wants everyone to know, like I'm, I'm saving you guys. You know what I mean? Like who does that? It's like, yeah, totally. Yeah. And he only Mm -hmm. turns it on when he's fighting the takers. Of course it's, it's political propaganda. Did any, this is a quick question. Did anyone else, I guess more, mostly for Kyle and Brian, when you heard map makers were in trouble, did that mean anything to you? Bro, Benedict. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah, that yeah I just it felt like a missed opportunity to put a Benedict uh, descendant in like the scene. You know, that would be yeah. so amazing. I I also love him. Yeah. He is. Mm the greatest character on what we do in the shadows, which is a show you guys would love if you haven't seen yet. He is fantastic in it. And he just joined Zoe's extraordinary playlist as well, which is like a singing show that I love Harvey Gann. He's just phenomenal. He's, he's so like dramatic character or is a comedic character. Oh, both are so comedic. Oh, it's funny. It's really good. You guys wait, does anyone watch what we do in the shadows? Mm Mm-mm. I mean, it's it's probably once it gets a few more seasons, it'll be one of the best sitcoms ever. It's just so funny. You would love it. If we ever did a comedy, that's probably the one we would do. But so the next scene that we have is Seb and the whole Centurion Guard are just in the Florian forest and Elliot and I guess just the Royal Council is watching through these bowls 
And the Centurion Guard is surrounded by takers that nobody can see except for Margo, who's kind of just like, guys, come on. There's one there, 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 and there. And the Dark King immediately is just like, whoa, pretty good vision, Margo. And she says, well, you know, my grandpa banged a snow leopard, or at least that's the rumor. <laughs> Obviously, she has- that's, that's like cool. Like no one questions it. Like it's definitely a legit possibility. <laughs> mm-hmm. Crazy shit happens in Fillory. But yeah, obviously it's our fairy eye. And right after that, once they're surrounded, the Dark King just kind of runs off, flashes to Elliot. He's like, ah, okay, legit royal tactic. Let's see how this one plays out. Like when he was running from King Idri. I love Mm -hmm. it. It's awesome. A great call. Technically, King Idri ran first. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. It was Idri that ran first. Mm -hmm. Good call. Mm -hmm. So... I think we flash to another scene, but then we come right back to Fillory and Margot's walking with, it's kind of just her homie that she was kind of bantering with at the boot camp scene. But this guy gets taken by one of the takers, leaving Margot by herself. And she kind of gets surrounded herself by two takers on either side. And she kind of like throws her axes at them and they go down, but then they get right back up. All hope seems lost, but then out of nowhere, Dark King saves the day. That was still badass. Her chucking the fucking axes, perfectly accurate, just nailing them. Cool. 100%. But these things, I think it's it's been established. These things are powerful enough to overpower a magician. It They beat Margot and Elliot in single combat, I would say. Yeah, I don't know what their deal is. It's also weird that when he, the Dark King, this is kind of defeats them. And he has like, he's kind of standing there with his arms out and like looking up. And there's like little, like, it looks like little things are like glowing around him. It just... There's just a weird vibe around him and his relationship to the takers. Well, can we talk about that? Because I really <clears> liked <throat> the way he did it. It was just a cool ass like clap spell, right? That they've all they've all died the same way. Yeah, it's a clap that like knocks them backwards. Yeah. And then when they're down, they just turn to dust. And our only information as audience members up to this point is that the Dark King treats them like an infection or a disease. So he's using antiviral magic, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're, yeah. that's what he told Elliot before. So I don't know. I took the him standing like that as partly because of the last scene of this arc that he drained himself completely. And also, yeah, who yeah. Knows? Who knows? Well, I mean, he follows it right up with falling into Margaret's arms. Exactly. Yeah. I could easily be wrong here, but I don't feel like we've ever seen any of our magicians do that kind of stuff of like feeling that level drained after doing a spell we should take this clip and start every podcast episode with it because it's so good elliot is looking into the pensive and he says it's amazing right i mean honestly fuck netflix that's peak television (laughs) (laughs) like it's perfect that's the clip that is the clip my question is were they already signed they must have like they had the deal with netflix yes Okay, I've been yeah. watching on Netflix for years. <laughs> it's just weird that like they didn't take a hit at sci-fi because sci-fi yeah. has been, you know, their actual production company, but whatever. The magicians like John McNamara took took the show to Netflix to see if they would pick it up for a season six. And they were like, remember that line? <laughs> Fuck you guys. No. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I feel like Netflix would love that free advertisement or whatever they would rather their name be there than hulu or something you know yeah Mm -hmm. so and i do this is kind of the scene where i was just like there has to be more to the dark king how is he the only one that can take these things out i've seen this storyline before i feel like the dark king is controlling these takers is what i think 
Why is he the only? I'm not going to. Obviously, I have too much information to really comment on it. Oh yeah, no, I'm. I'm... I will totally say that. I don't know how common it is for you to have magic in Fillory and like be a magician as a person that would be encountering these takers. Meaning, like anyone in the in White Spire that's with Elliot would probably not have the ability to cast these antiviral spells, right? So that's just how I'm thinking of it. Is that? Well, magic is all around and the whole world is magic. Not that many people can do the physical spells that would be used to kill these these takers. It also seems like it's not an antiviral spell. I mean, the spell like knocks them on their feet and shoots them back. That doesn't seem like what an antiviral spell would be in my head. I guess I don't know what magic is in this world, but it, it all just seems fishy to me. Yeah, what you're saying is kind of like in season three with the shadow monster for the first key. Is it the first key? One of the keys. Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah, when he points at the shadow monster, the guy's basically gaining control that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll see. I mean, I just love (laughs) Seb. He's so hot. (laughs) Yeah, and Kyle, I want to hear your thoughts on this because these two obviously know what the fuck his deal is. But like, where's your head at with Seb? So basically he gets back to uh, his chambers as Kathleen said earlier and Elliot wants to talk to him, but he's clearly beat. You know, last time we saw him is when he collapses onto Margot, and Elliot kind of compliments him about having, you know, how well he deals with the takers. And he says, you know, it used to be like that essentially, but now it's kind of just a series of holding actions, which is basically just in the military term. It just is an attack that it's just basically meant so that the other people can't attack. And, so basically it's him holding them at bay and he's been doing it for so long that yeah, it does feel like he's just using them to manipulate the fillery population where like he's this indispensable figure that they can't possibly lose because he's the only thing that's holding them back. And that's what my ramblings earlier were trying to say is exactly what you just did. So thank you. But because the magicians is such a top tier show and we love it so much is that are you feeling that way because they want you to feel that way? Or are you picking up clues because you're a great podcaster? Who the fuck knows? Who knows? Who's to say? I also think that it's interesting that he uses a military term. And, you know, who was in the military, B. Toms? Oh, Lance Morrison. And was he was in the military, too. 110%, dude. He is Rupert so Chatwin. Chatwin. <laughs> I also think there's more to the Chatwin storyline because we get the plum reveal. So I think we're going to be peeling back the layers of the Chatwins. And if we're doing that, then Rupert's a great way to get there. Yeah. Todd's son, Rupert Chatwin. Todd's <laughs> son. <laughs> oh, um, okay, so, so we have one last scene in this. So once kind of goes away they go back into the house to to uh, we don't really know like as Margot's pov we don't really know why and they're searching and searching and i love margo sees this fairy under the floorboards with her fairy eyeball i love to see it and summer bishop does such good facial acting in this scene where when the fairy and margo are looking at each other they both know so much like the fairy's looking at margo like i could see your fairy eye and margo's looking at her like all right let's just like let's let's table this we'll get to it later <laughs> but summer bishop is the queen of facial acting and i got so much out of this like 10 second scene i loved so it you have to assume that I'm actually kind of forgetting this as a vet, so I hope I'm not saying something stupid, but how the all the Centaurians can see the fairy alone means that 
something's up because they must have had it right like they had you can't see fairies unless you have a deal with them right i thought someone made a noise like i think under the floorboards the fairy like dropped the book or something like that and they heard it because they were looking for a fairy that they couldn't actually see and they found it that way true or false in season three Elliot and Margot make a deal with the queen fairy mm-hmm. that makes all Florians a like technically all Florians make that same deal. They like want their, her tub or something. And yes. the fact that they get the tub means all Florians have made a deal with the fairies and that, that they, they can all see her. I don't know if that applies 300 years in the future, but that fairy deals do not go out of style. Yeah. yeah that's, but I that's mean, what I'm assuming it is. Yeah. I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't remember if they ever touch on why they can see them. That makes a lot of sense, yeah, because I honestly was a little little bit confused as well. Well, either way, the fairy would be able to see Margot's fairy eye and be like, why does this bitch have a fairy eye? It's funny because the Centurion commander that we've been calling him kind of looks at Margot and then looks at the fairy and was like, do you guys know each other? And I was sitting there thinking, like, did this guy just take the words out of my head? Because they were looking at each other like they knew each other. Mm -hmm. This fairy kind of looked like Sky. I don't know if it's just because all fairies kind of look the same with the like no eyebrows, like whatever. But um, I wonder if Margot, if you know how Queen Margot, Elliot, Quentin are famous among the Florians. I wonder if Queen Margot with the fairy eye is famous among the fairies because she's the one like she didn't actually it would more be Julia. Julia was the one who really helped them. But Margot, obviously, who's to say? I don't know. And also, I don't think it can be Sky because she has no, it's two, not two legs, right? Totally not Sky. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. like when you said that, I was thinking, oh, this little cutie looks like Sky, and I loved Sky. Under I don't pressure. Know if, I don't know if it's wrong for me to say this, but it was weird that she had black hair. Yeah, I could have sworn she was like one of the only fairies that had black hair. I agree right. with that. All right, if we're good with fillery, we're gonna move on to the complicated bucket, which has sub buckets in it. So how we're going to do this, we have Alice and Jenny, 23, but they all kind of diverge. But, we, but how they start is, again, in the Katie Marina apartment, and they're talking about the harmonic convergence, which was the big cliffhanger at the end of last episode. We got the final reveal that that's going to be a huge part of this season, the harmonic convergence. So they're all just brainstorming, talking about what they're going to do about this, and that's when Julia comes up with her idea that they should just talk to a god and see if they can, you know, get a deal going and maybe make sure that the the god can help save Earth. Yeah, Julia says they need to find someone who can see the bigger picture. So Mm -hmm. that leads her to find a god. Um, Alice brings up that, hey, you know, I have an ins with the library, so I can go see if they have any books before we go full in on the God thing, because that has burned us in the past. And somewhere in between that, Penny has a searing pain in his neck that he says, you know, I'm going to be I'm not going to be helpful until I get this fixed. Like, I'm just going to go. Yeah, I love Julia and Alice just sitting on this couch having a conversation. It seems so normal, but we would have never seen that in the past with these two. I love it. I love this apartment. Um, So, yeah, this just sends them in their different direction. Penny's going to go get help with his patch. Alice goes to the library and Julia deals with the deity. Um, I love that Penny immediately was like, dude, you've had zero luck in the past with fucking gods. You're just going to summon. Julia's like, yeah. (laughs) Julia always she's kind of like God woke like she 
she has always been a little bit devil may care when she's dealing with gods because like she was a god for a little bit and also i will say that having a library card that is one of the hottest items like that's a big deal to have a library card mm-hmm. totally. I don't know. so the first penny scene that we get is it's penny and merit we get to see merit again and they're in the physical cottage at break bills and they're both kind of they're just talking about this signal and how it's kind of escalating and getting stronger and they're both talking about how they're starting to hear a very faint voice come through they can't really discern what it's saying but they can tell that it's a voice and penny is making himself a new patch which he is hoping is going to work better at canceling the signal and he pops it on and immediately it feels great he has relief but then he like forcibly blips away and a couple seconds go by and he blips back in the other room of the physical cottage he's got like blood coming down his face and he has no memory of where he went to so these blips are getting worse and that's that blip when he comes back with the blood on his face leads merit to say you know we got to get you some help so of course this is going to lead to them going to lipson again because lipson's is always the doctor but go ahead kyle Our my girl. first my first thought when he blips away and then comes back and he's all fucked up it was just damn you know, these bunnies are powerful as fuck mm. <laughs> they're fucking shit up huh yeah, yeah, these bunnies don't mess around, dude. If it is revealed that the bunnies are the mastermind of even the signal, I would be beyond myself and so happy with this show. But they probably <laughs> I mean, have come to on, bro. They bring it, it up multiple times. <laughs> if it was Captain Hobbs is pulling the strings of the whole Oh thing. my gosh, <laughs> I need that in my life. <laughs> okay, so the next scene we get is Professor Lipson patching up Penny and Merritt's there too. And she she makes a comment saying that they can't go to the infirmary because it's like a meat locker since there's so many like freshman break bill students practicing magic while these surges are going on. It's just like a madhouse there. And while Lipson is patching him up, Penny starts to like uncontrollably blip again, but he gets to he manages to say the words get Julia. And that's and the I- last thing we're going to get of Penny 23 before the, the culmination of the episode. So. I, I, can we just call her Plum now that we know? Because I fucking yeah. hate that name. Because Merritt's dumb. Just for you two to know, Kyle and B. Toms, that Plum is like a main character of the, the last Magician's book. books. And it's not like a reveal at all of her first name being Plum. So it's just annoying to me as someone who knows just Plum. Yeah. Plum is- her last name is a re- There is a reveal in the book that she's a Chatwin. Yeah. But what was but- the point of hiding her first name? Because she was hiding it from Penny. Yeah, but that's why? part of the story. It could be from for book readers. Okay, that must have been exactly what it was because yeah, no one knows like Penny doesn't know Plum, but okay. Yeah, because I would have been like Plum. I mean, I read the books after I watched season five, so I guess I wouldn't have been like Plum. But either way, Plum was a dope character in the thirds. You actually get her point of view like earlier in the episodes when I talked about how they were kind of making fun of Quentin for being like a weirdo. She's one of them. Like she it's from her point of view in the books and mm-hmm. she's like fucking weirdo professor Coldwater. but we're going to pick ahead. back up with Penny in a little bit, but now we're going to go through Alice's couple of scenes. So again, she starts off in the apartment with the whole squad. She decides that she's going to use the equivalent of the button key that takes you to Fillory, but now this key takes you to the library. So she has a universal pass to the library. Her plan is to go and read up on the harmonic convergence as much as she can. So when she uses the key, she transports to the library and she's just looking for any information she can find. But what she sees right away is there's clearly like these 
you're supposed to think like marauders or looters of the library in there. And she is trying to be quiet a little bit and she makes a huge noise, typical suspense. Yeah. They turn and see her and Zelda pulls her into the office and they throw up all the cool ass CGI magical wards to block these people from coming in to get them. Those wards look really cool. That was really satisfying CGI, them putting up those wards. But also, yeah, these are the Visigoths. Uh, Zelda tells Alice they're Germanic barbarians that only show up during the absolute worst moments in history. And that's all we know about them. The Visigoths are led by David Anders, who's my guy who plays the character Blaine on iZombie. He is the main character for all five seasons. He's one of the, on TV, one of my favorite is he, isn't he villains for all five seasons, like just goes back and forth being just, do I hate this guy or do I love him? Like this sucks, but in the best way. And he's also not British in real life. So I'll do you one better. He plays uncle John Gilbert on the CW show, the vampire diaries, which Emma has made me watch through season three. And he plays the exact same character. Like, will he won't me villain uncle John Gilbert. Just to jump off that, of how his character is portrayed in the two or three scenes he gets in this episode, I already kind of gravitate towards him. Like, he's a cool character because I think that's the last part of the first scene. Like, they're just knocking on the wards. They're trying to figure out how to get in there. And so so the next time we see Alice and Zelda, they're in the library. They're, they're looking at them trying to dig through these wards. They start describing them. We find out that they're they're very intelligent and polite. They rob all of these historically intelligent places in history like the 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 burning of alexandria library like they were they were responsible for that so it's just kind of cool that they're they're not just simple like bandits right like he's a cool character and you don't even get him that much visgoth overlord terrence yeah and in in his own words he says that they look for the deepest knowledges the highest art and the most illuminating philosophy what a surprise this man was i really liked it mm-hmm very gentlemanly these this man's so and they're also famous for keeping their word just as another personality trait um he's like educated polite to a fault (laughs) yeah i love him i'm telling you an i zombie he like basically causes the whole fucking reason why there's a show so he's the worst and yet i'm like would i kiss this guy i might like damn and he kisses Allie Michalka from Alien Ages. So you know that he's a good character if she's kissing him because she's chef's kiss. You're blowing my mind that he's not British, too. I remember I follow him because I've been a fan of iZombie for years. So when this episode aired, he posted a picture of it and had a caption that was like, I'm breaking out my absolutely terrible British accent again for the magicians. Is he British in uh, Vampire Diaries, Brian? No, no. Okay. He's very American. Okay. Either way, yeah, Zelda pulls Alice in. They kind of go into a back room and Alice or Zelda tells Alice that their real intentions are going after the book of everybody's. And their real intentions are to like fuck with the stock market or pillage every great work of art before it's even completed. They have so. a thing about shorting. They think it's hilarious. <laughs> That's so funny, man. <laughs> this really fucking is. show. <laughs> god that hits home right kyle (laughs) yeah it does buy bitcoin and this next alice and zelda zina is really good and i agree with whichever one of you said that's so glad to see zelda back 
because even though we don't get her that much, she really I really fucking love her. And she says something like, Mm. if I could do it all again, I'd be a better mother and a truer friend. But I wasn't and I'm not Um, like I've given my whole life to this. And Alice is like, bitch, it's fine. Like I like Alice goes on her spiel because she's lost everything as well. Um, She says, whoever, whatever you love that gets stripped away from you stays alive inside of us and anyone who you share it with. I'm like, (laughs) burn the books. Fuck them up. (laughs) I was not expecting this. She was ready to sacrifice it all. And this is the first time by design that you ever see Zelda do anything negative to any sort of book because that's just her whole personality and character, which is just amplifies what she does in this moment when she just decides to do her crazy spell that just starts burning everything down. And then Alice pulls the whole grab the port key, fucking whatever she has to get back to earth. And she saves Zelda while the Visigoths just sit there freaking out screaming. Really emotional moment. And that's like all of Zelda's children dying at once. Worse than Harriet, probably. <laughs> wow. When you say it like that. All right. So we got two more scenes here before we get to the last concluding part of this character bucket with all of our characters meeting back up. We're going to go through Julia's two quick scenes. So her first one is she's acting on the plan. She said in the beginning of the episode where she wants to talk to a God and see what she can get done with this conversion problem. So what she ends up doing is she, she does this sort of spell praying seance kind of, I don't know, whatever the fuck it is. She reaches out to an entity and Tell me where I know this actress from. Because oh, is it Easy A? Is that the yeah? She plays from? a young Emma Stone in Easy A. Yeah, but I think she was in one of our Nickelodeon That's shows was, because it must have been like I was she in Vic- She looks like the girl that was in Victorious. That was That's Ariana um, Grande. No, well, yes, <laughs> <laughs> she was the other girl that wasn't Ariana Grande or Victoria. <laughs> or victorious it was, it was the third giles or giles but I, actually, I don't think it was her i've seen this episode now three times in my life and each time i go Where the fuck do i know this girl from and i think easy a is one of my favorite comfort movies and it's one of my top movies of all time so of course that's what i know her from but i swear it was from an uh like like um zoe 101 or something yeah, stupid like yeah, that yeah. She kind of yeah. looks a little bit like Fen too, like a little bit. But yeah. either way, this this goddess shows up, and we find out quickly her name is Clarion. I didn't have yeah. Clarion. Clarion, the goddess of melody, the goddess of melody, and she gives the whole speech to Julia after she gets summoned. Julia tells her why she's there, like I need some help, and this goddess actually says, like I worship you, Julia. I don't know if this is the next second scene or first scene, but either way, this is whole conversation going on. She's saying that I need your help. Julia's telling the goddess, I need your help to stop the convergence. The goddess is very aware of what the convergence is and even goes on to say that it's way fucking worse than what you think it is. And of course I can stop it, but I'm not going to do it for free. Like I, of course, like you've worked with God, you should know the deal by now. And what she wants in return for stopping the harmonic convergence is to become a human akin to what Julia recently did. And that's when our Kyle's boy, the binder comes into play. The binder. <laughs> so 
Julia's first question is, why do you want to be human? You're a god. Like, why would you want that? And I love her quote. She's like, I know it sounds like hubris itself, but I think I could be a rock star. I mean, I pretty much know the gig. They all prayed to me, except for Amy Winehouse. Okay. And look how that one turned out. The poor thing. And we all know I love me some Amy Winehouse. So RIP Amy. I know. Shout out to our boy, Bob Schmidt. Valerie's his favorite song of all time. Mm. Um, I did have a little note here that B Tom's got to sing. Why don't you come on over, Valerie? Love it. That's like top three song of all time. Everybody loves that song. And Amy Winehouse, love her to death. But I also love this Clarion Clarion character. Uh, She was super fun. But she also says that with the harmonic conversion, just specifically like expect earthquakes, fires, drought, starvation, plague. And then after all that, that's when the cannibalism starts. So like this is apocalyptic is the right word. It's a little look behind the curtain for Bingetown TV. But it's funny that you bring up Bob Schmidt here because <laughs> the first time I ever got introduced to the concept of a death pool was when Amy Winehouse died and we were down the shore and Bob was like checking to see who in his office at Amy Winehouse in the death pool. And I was like, what the fuck is a death pool? <laughs> Wait, uh, real humans, not like, even like, like fictional characters. Yeah. Spears kid and Amy Winehouse. You draft like anyone in the world. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know that was a thing. No, that's not yeah, bad. I'm sure Betty White's <laughs> been like a first round pick for the past two decades. Yeah. <laughs> He's proven them wrong. Just upsets True. every year. Good for um, her. But, I, but wait, real quick, I do want to say that I, I'm sure you guys agree just by that quick conversation of that specific scene. She, Clarion, Clarion, whatever. Clarion. Clarion. Her <laughs> as a goddess character was so much better than Iris just in that little bit. I wish their roles, their actors would have been switched for the amount of screen time they got because I already gravitated more towards Clarion. I will say, I've been wanting to say this, there's never a more beautiful version of anybody than when Julia gets turned into a goddess and she has the umbrella on her shoulder and they're sitting in this like realm, God realm, just sitting, talking and in this like very calm voice and Julia looks out of control. Beautiful. I wish that was Clarion right next to her because she just deserved more screen time in my opinion. Iris was also supposed to be a bad guy. So like, you're not supposed to like Iris. What is Clarion supposed to be a, good goddess not really yeah she is my favorite thing in the world you know what it is it is chaotic neutral (laughs) that's what clarion is yeah yeah yeah. nice so the next scene that we have is are we ready to move on bird up all right so this is where we get our boy the binder and i fucking love that they got brought this guy back uh julia obviously this is just where she goes when she learns that clarion wants to be a human this is kind of the binder's deal If we remember from season four, Julia promised to burn him from existence, which the binder says something like, oh, the binder, you know, is not surprised to learn that Julia did not keep up her end of the deal. Um, (laughs) I actually love these two's chemistry because they're just talking to each other like they're old friends or something. And Julia was just like, hey, man, I just thought maybe we should both take a step back and give us both time to cool down so we could reassess. But Julia gets to asking for his help 
uh, with turning Clarion into a human and the binder, the binder stared at Julia, wondering if she'd learned nothing from her interactions with deities. And Julia says like, oh, but I have no choice. Earth is in danger, blah, blah, blah. And again, the binder asked, bored. Still, the binder wondered why on <laughs> earth would Julia trust this Clarion? And the binder's just spitting facts here. And I love it. But this conversation Bro, ends up going on to say that, you know, he is the binder is going to agree to Julia's deal to help Clarion turn into a human when she just holds up the lighter. Why is the binder trusting Julia to hold up her part of the bargain again? I think it was kind of like I was saying, like these two have the relationship of speaking like two people that respect each other, like old friends. She didn't have malicious intent when she didn't hold up her end of the bargain by originally not burning him, like mm-hmm. she just wanted him to cool off and really think about if he really wanted that. I don't know. Can we talk about the first time that the binder came? They needed blood for the book, so Margo just pulls her tampon out and throws it in the book, and then they're just like flipping through the book for the rest of the episode like it's normal. <laughs> and Penny's like icked out by it. Margo's just like, oh, fucking ovary up. My God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So anyway, that's the deal. The binder's going to help turn Clarion into a human in exchange for Julia burning his book so he can be a piece or whatever. I got some negative things to say about what's about to happen, and I'm sure it's obvious to know the perspective because what they do with Penny and what Julia, how everyone reacts is just kind of, eh, doesn't, doesn't really sit right with me. But Penny 23 is different than Penny 40. But I don't know. I'm all over the place with how this shit goes down. I kind of don't love the end of this episode. We'll debate it in yeah. our new segment called Devil's Advocate. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, well, we're right here. So Penny 23, Lipson, Julia, Clarion, and anyone else? I love how we're saying Clarion like she's a fucking alien. It's Clarion. It's a real name. People are named Clarion. Oh, whatever. Fuck this. Clarion. Clarinet is in the physical cottage. That's it. Clarinet. Yeah. Uh, Plum is there. Did you say Plum? Plum is there too. Clarinet is an amazing name for the goddess of melody. Yeah, seriously. Who can't understand music? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. Basically, what I'm getting at is we find out right in the beginning of the scene that the goddess is going to give Julia her one miracle that she bargained for. Because she she presented the uh, the binders also here in this scene as well. The binder is going to do Julia's part of the deal and make Clarion a human. But in exchange, Clarion is only going to do one thing for Julia, whether that's stop the harmonic convergence or what we find out right away is that Penny's going to die. Penny's going to die in, what does she say, a minute? Yeah. Yeah, she gives her one minute. It's uh, a full metal alchemist fans know the, the law of equivalent exchange. It would have been way too easy, obviously, for her to just for the goddess to just snap the harmonic convergence gone. So we have to have the character decision by Julia to pick Penny and his life over the rest of the fucking world. And that's obviously where I'm coming from when I'm saying I don't love this because <clears throat> you know, realistically, why the how how are you gonna explain that away and make it make sense? Yeah, and Penny even wakes up and is like, I feel better. So that makes me feel like something bad happened. <laughs> like all humans, 23 is so little and knew less. <laughs> yeah, the vine is the goat. When they call him 23, 
I like that. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't even have a name anymore. You're just your timeline number. That's it. Um, but yeah, right. so she chose Penny, of course. And right away we find out he doesn't. It's it's totally quiet. Like, can you imagine living your whole life and never knowing quiet? Um, he's no longer a psychic, which means that he can't travel. Um, technically he can, but he'd be flying blind. Flying a jet blind is what he says. And he's sitting in this quiet and Julia immediately turns to apologizing. And I, I actually really like this out of Penny. I don't know that it completely matches our Penny 40. I'll debate Penny 40 versus 23 all day in a way that's like, I really don't think they should be that different. But I love when Penny goes full like, instant karma like we are solving a big spiritual argument here uh you gotta appreciate the balance of it and i like when he's and the irony and i like when he says it is fucking radiant (laughs) it's just great line he's not mad enough that he can no longer travel in my opinion because that is the ultimate right now if you were to give me any power like teleporting is like a top five and he just loses that doesn't even care i come on react more negatively uh, Penny has also been really pessimistic about his his gift, quote unquote. Yeah, like he he's always thought of it as a negative, especially the psychic like thoughts just constantly pouring in. So that would, in the eyes of Penny, be a huge plus. No longer having the burden of mind reading. So you know, hmm. and it's crazy that you say that because Kathleen, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that psychic ability that he has is completely made up for the show, right? Isn't in the books? Isn't he just a traveler? Yes. So that's yes. Weird that they're gonna dictate the end of the show's Penny Twenty Three based on a power that they kind of threw in there for convenience sake to make him connected to the Beast in season one. I just think that's like kind of ironic, poetic. I don't even know which word, which one I'm looking for because it could be either. I am not singing Taylor Swift in my head. <laughs> I love that. And he like goes behind the tree and hides yeah. behind the tree. Yeah. He's oh, like, I'll you. I'll fix my words. <laughs> Well, Luke, going off what you said, Penny notes the irony in the situation that, what was it, just last season, he had to make this life-altering decision for an unconscious uh, Julia, and now Julia had to make this life-altering decision for Penny, and he's just like, do you not see the irony in this? Great. He also does say to his students that the best case scenario for being basically who he is is that you become a taxi service for your friends, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I made – I don't believe I made this comment on last episode when he's looking in the library to figure out what the what the signal is and Julia comes to him in the library and like gives him a coffee and he's like thinking she's there to comfort him and she's like, no, I need a ride. And I was well, like, yo, fuck you, Julia. Yeah. He thinks they're going to fuck in that instance and yeah. she's like, no, I just, he's like, I would love to but I'm really swapped and she's like, no, no, not that. I just need – that would be like fun and stuff but I need a ride. So you're right, Kai. I I don't know. And I totally agree. Brian, I had the same thought where he's always kind of thought of it like it's a gift and a curse. And it's always it's been more of a curse than anything for him. It's not like he it was like the greatest thing in in his life. I I agree. I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine what they did with Penny. Before we move on to the big reveal, I just do want to make the comment that when Clarion leaves, and she dips with the binder. And Julia's last words to her are, go fuck yourself. Uh-huh. And then the binder gets a little chuckle out of it. And then he disappears. So if that's the last time we see him, I love that that's how he went out. Just laughing at that joke. Speaking of just great deliveries from Julia, in the beginning when she's first summoning the god in Greek and she opens her eyes and nothing happens, she 
she just goes fucking hell in the camera but like clarion's <laughs> behind her which is funny yeah, yeah. like it's it's i love when they slip a curse word or two in there and this is where we finally get we already touched on it but we get the merit is plum chatwin reveal and the way she reveals it is oh my gosh penny like this is all my fault i should have been honest with you from the start and she says she's a chatwin and she goes on to say that you know us chatwins are cursed things just keep coming after us that we don't understand and uh she rips off her own neck patch that penny fixed for her uh, and says that she's going to try and fix this whole situation that she feels she caused, saying, you know, you were right. And that's all that we hear from her. Lipson saying, Chatwin's like the what the kids' books? Oh, what? I missed mm-hmm. an episode. <laughs> that's breaking the fourth wall. There you go. That's like mm-hmm. the third example or something like that this episode. To me. Yeah, and that might be why I was like, wait, who didn't know that Fillory existed in real life? Probably why I said that stupid thing in the last episode that um, fans I, I edited out because I sounded really dumb and it took up too much time. <laughs> um, but also, like I said, Fog doesn't know about it in the book. So that's probably why I said that Fog doesn't know. But anyway. So she blips away because she's a traveler, which is also pretty cool. We have a Chatwin who is a traveler again. And kind of, I, th- I think it's just a really cool dynamic to introduce this kind of student Chatwin. Like, a chat wins at break bills. I think that's just a pretty cool thing for us as the audience to be able to see. But when she blips away, that brings us to this kind of wrap up scene in the NYC apartment where it's Alice, Penny, Zelda, and Julia. And I guess they're all just reconvening about their respective storylines from the episode. Alice is telling them, you know, the Visigoths got to all of the people books, so we don't have those anymore. And Penny is kind of hopeful. He says, hey, maybe maybe now everybody will believe in free will. And Alice is like, yo, dude, keep it down because Zelda is in the background, like sulking the loss of her her book kids. <laughs> um, it's revealed that before the fire, the Visigoths also took all the books about the harmonic convergence. Uh, so now Penny's like, should we trade with them? Like, how do we get more info? Plus, I guess this is a good time to say it, but they just said, fuck the alternate Alice writer of all the books, like all the work she's been doing, just writing all this shit. They just burned that all to the ground. Like, yeah, whatever. Cassandra. <laughs> During my rewatch, I did so much research on that. When I watched that episode, I was like, wait, where did this go? What is the significance of Alice being the one that is doing this? But it it went nowhere. But it's just kind of one of the ones they dropped. But um, so Zelda had read all the books on the harmonic convergence, a lot of them anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's like, it's almost impossible but it can be done. And it, it's it's like such a great shot of the fucking gigantic moon behind her. And she just says, like, we got to move the moon. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. such a crazy ask. And I love it because in all of the conversations with Zelda and Harriet and Zelda spent her whole life in the library, dedicating herself to knowledge and and she would have read all the books on the harmonic convergence. Like Zelda as a human is is like like you said, the library card's a great thing to have. Zelda's a great person to have because she's read so many, like she says, Harriet, like you can read all the books you want, but you have to work here and whatever it is. I just think that that was a good payoff where even though they burned all the books, Zelda spent, I don't know, how long do you think Zelda was down in the library for hundreds of years? She's read so many books in their pursuit of knowledge. And I think that was a really good payoff that they're like, well, Zelda's read like every book in the library. So she's got some knowledge on the harmonic convergence. 
it was funny how Alice was kind of like, well, the guy was kind of into me. And then Julia immediately shot it down and was like, no, we're not doing that. I like that. I too. That was, was a good. Yeah, I, it was funny because it was a little out of character of Alice to be like, ah, I mean, fuck it. I'll fuck this dude. And then Julia just jumped right on the idea. It was like, no, we're not doing that. That's our girl sticking together. True. But yeah, so this is. I guess our next Herculean task that the heroes have to take on is trying to move the moon. And I don't even know, you can tell by the faces that they make, they just don't even know where to start about doing something like that. And Zelda tells the truth. She's like, it's, it's pretty simple, but like in practice, it's going to be extremely difficult to do. And it's moving the moon. Sounds about right for the magicians, right? It it really does. Yeah. Yeah. Let me oh let God, me tell yeah. you the next episode is called Apocalypse exclamation mark question mark now. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. That's episode five. Episode five. So just for those listening, I this is this is subject to changing, but we do plan on making the next podcast episode covering part one and part two of the apocalypse now, which when it aired is the next two, episode five and six. So our next podcast episode might be a little bit longer. But we figured that it would make sense to cover it because that's how the show decided to make it like a mid-season break. Yeah, they aired it in the same night live. That was a good night for me. Two episodes in one night. Yeah, it's like (laughs) your Super Bowl. Wait, did they air two episodes in the same night? That's pretty great. Yeah. Hell yeah. We're just about to turn it up. I mean, final season, we're four in. You're you're a you're a third third of the way in right now, which is sad. Less a little bit less than a third of the way in because yeah, 13, 13 episodes. episodes. So mm-hmm. let's look at it uh glass half full. Um sure. do we have what's the bank kill Mary? So after much debate, we had decided that this week's Bank Hill Mary is gonna be otherworldly hot girls on the magicians. Uh objectively. <laughs> I may I might cut objectively out. So we've got the leprechaun from season four. That leads them to Enulias, a.k.a. Renly Baratheon. We've got Iris, the deity who basically initiated Julia into goddesshood, who also died in season four by the monster Elliot's hand. And we have Clarion, the goddess of melody, who we saw this episode, who is the sassy queen. So who wants to go first? Okay. Because I think this is an easy one. I'm going to marry... What's the leprechaun's name? Leprechaun. Leprechaun. Because she is a 10 out of 10. She's absolutely beautiful. When I watched the episode where she was in for the first time, like, you know, I saw her and I was like, I got to know who this actress is. Looked her up, of course. She's like that level of just absolutely beautiful. And she's kind of bubbly and fun. She was fucking with the magicians while they were doing the whole escape room. Um, That was all cool. She's great. Going to marry the leprechaun. I'm going to kill Iris because I think she sucks. She's shitty um yeah i don't really have to add on to that and then i'm gonna bang clarion because she looks like a girl that was in one of my favorite shows when i was watching nick when i was younger (laughs) gonna bang her that's all it takes um i will follow that up i'm also gonna kill iris she was mean and started kind of bullying our heroes when she was trying to leverage her position with the monster so screw her i'll kill her um, I am going to bang the leprechaun because I don't want to marry her because she's a leprechaun and she's like a little bit of a trickster, like talks in riddles and puzzles and stuff like that. She was super bubbly and obviously beautiful, but like, I'll just bang her and I'm going to marry Clarion. She seemed like kind of cool, wanted to be a rock star. Like she was a pretty level-headed goddess. She was, 
you know, didn't take any shit, said gods have been being abused by humans for decades, like make a fair, fair deal. And she was also beautiful. So give me Clarion for the Mary. Clarion to Marion. There it is. Kai. Um, so I am going to also kill Iris. Uh, didn't like her vibe at all. And she's very selfish because she was a human and then, you know, sacrifice all that stuff to become a God. I don't need someone with that kind of ambition in my life, making me feel bad about myself. <laughs> uh, I'm going to then bang Clarion because she, you know, has kind of observed the life of rock stars and I'm sure yep. she's watched some of them have sex. So she probably knows a thing or two. And then that leaves me marrying the leprechaun because she just sounds fun. I'll work in the shop with her. We can live in Ireland together or wherever it is that they are. And I really like her accent. That's exactly why I'm marrying the leprechaun. The accent alone is enough to make me fall in love. I'll listen to that every day. Um, Loved her and she's beautiful. I'm going to bang Clarion like everyone because the rock star life. She's a fucking rock star. We're going to bang on the bus. We'll bang, bang there. Live that rockstar life. Bang and bang and bang and bang and bang bang. And then, um, yeah, I'm gonna kill Iris. It's it always pisses me off every time I watch when Julia's being beautiful with the umbrella. When she's saying like, I can still feel them, I can still hear them, and Iris is like, Yeah, that'll fade. Like you gotta just like let it go. And I'm like, That's our heroes, baby. Like don't talk about my boys and girls like that. So yeah, she's dead as fuck. I, that's a clean sweep <clears throat> on killing Iris. I felt four out of four. so yeah. satisfied when she died, when when Elliot Monster killed her. That was kind of the best death. Like, I was extremely sad when Bacchus died and just polar opposite when it was Iris. You know, <laughs> She's like, it helps keep morale high when we save a kid or two every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> she's a savage and pretty boring. So, yeah, she's dead as fuck. Love me some leprechaun, though. And that's going to be a wrap on Bang Kill Mary and the pod episode as a whole. As always, keep an eye out for our continued coverage of The Magicians. We're going to be covering each episode of Season 5 week by week. And if you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BingetownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. Up, dog. Yo, what's up, dog? <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Guys, the yes. next two episodes are fucking lit. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 